Welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Simon Carley. And in this podcast, we're going to discuss something that we both know you'll be doing every day in the emergency department. But it's also something that you may never have actually taken that much time to think about or even been taught. Because today we're going to talk about how we communicate with each other and communicate with the inpatient teams to whom we're making referrals. It's a really important subject because... That interaction with the in-hospital teams will affect how you are able to do the best care for your patients, but also will affect how you are seen by those inpatient teams. And ultimately, it will actually make you feel better as a clinician if you do this well. So we're going to give you a bit of a framework about how you may be able to make these conversations work a bit better. We're going to try and give you some hints and tips, just little things that can really make the difference between putting the phone down and feeling like you've got to where you need to be. And putting the phone down and thinking that it just all went a bit wrong. Now, the first thing to say is, is that at no point are you selling a patient when you're making a referral. Every referral you make is made because that patient needs ongoing care. And it's important that the teams you're referring to understand that this is all part of doing the best for your patient. When you're making a decision to refer a patient, hopefully you will have made a good decision to take the patient into in-hospital care. You may have discussed it with a senior doctor. You may have looked at one of your local protocols and decided this patient actually needs to be referred. But at that point, it's not a sales pitch. It's not trying to get them to buy something from you. This patient needs care. They need further investigations or further treatment from the inpatient teams. And that is what you're trying to achieve for your patient. If you keep your patient in the forefront of your mind, you can't go wrong. So let's think about how we're going to start these conversations. You've decided a patient needs referral. The first thing I would say is take a moment to think about what it is you're going to say. Now, remember that the person on the other end of that line, they may be busy. They may be stressed. They may have all sorts of other people nagging them about the things that they need to do. They may have had a bad day before they got to work. They might have not had any breakfast. There's all sorts of reasons why they could be needing your help in understanding what it is that you need from them. And I think there's something about making the early part of the conversation interesting because people like stories. And in some ways, you're telling the person at the other end of the phone a story. So, Ian, how do you entice people in that early phase of the conversation that this is something which is going to interest them? Well, I think there's two really important things here. The first thing is, is that when the person answers the phone, answer with your name, say who you are. And maybe give your title or where you work to frame what it is that you're looking for. So in my case, hi, it's Ian. I'm one of the emergency department doctors. You'll often find that our inpatient colleagues decide to introduce themselves with their title. Now, I find this a real struggle because that's not a way to form a team. If you're forming a friendship or even just a collaboration, you don't introduce yourself with a title. You say who you are and what your name is. If you're trying to make a friendship and you go out for a drink with somebody, you don't introduce yourself with your title. Hi, I'm Ian. Can I get you a gin and tonic? And they will say, thanks so much. I'm Jennifer. I'd love one. They don't say, hi, I'm a mechanical engineer. Yes, please. They tell you their name. So use your name to introduce yourself. Now, if the colleague you're discussing this patient with doesn't use their first name, you need to find a way of finding that out without it seeming too confrontational. Because it's really important that we bring this down to a friendship, a team working together. So if they've introduced themselves as, hi, it's the general surgical registrar. When you introduce yourself, just say, hi, it's Ian. I'm the emergency department doctor. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. This is a non-confrontational way, which they're then going to have to say, oh, hi, yeah, it's uh, Simon. I'm the general surgeon. And repeat it. Hi, Simon. How nice to speak to you. 
all of a sudden that relationship is one of friends working together, not of people hiding a little bit behind their job titles. Now, the next thing you need is what I've taken to calling the James Bond opening. If you go to the movies, you'll notice all the big blockbusters start with a big scene. They don't start with a bit of romance and a little bit of smoochy smooch. They start with a large explosion and they draw you in. They take you into that movie so you want to see more. So tell the person on the other end of the line the big news that they need to hear. So if it's a surgeon, tell them exactly what it is about this patient that you need their help with. Now, all of this time, we're going to be using what we're going to call SBAR. So that's situation followed by background, assessment, and then recommendations. So this is the situation. So for a surgeon, it might be, hi, I've got a 25-year-old man who I believe has appendicitis. Boom. They need that. Appendicitis, that's surgical. Okay, I'm going to keep listening. Don't start with, hi, I've got a 25-year-old who came in with a little bit of abdominal pain. He's had a bit of nausea and vomiting. And by now, they're already moving on to the next thing. They're busy people. Start with the James Bond opening. Getting them involved in the early phases is really, really important. So my interpretation of the James Bond opening is what I'm asking people to do is to give a framework at the beginning. There is nothing more frustrating when you're listening to a history or you're listening to a junior doctor present a case or you're on the other end of a phone when people give you a whole series of facts and information, but it, it doesn't have any purpose. So Mrs. McGinn's has come in. She's 65 years old. She lives with a cat at home. Why are we having this conversation? What does this mean? Unless you have a frame, your James Bond opening, I'm worried that this patient has appendicitis. It doesn't allow the person who's listening at the other end to tease out the important bits of information and to process the information so that they can come back with important questions to clarify. I think it's really important, as you say, that you get the big message out, the framework. Why are we, why are we even having this conversation? So we're going to start in our SBAR format with the situation. Now, next, we move on to background. Now, remember that this is just the background to the situation you've just described. This doesn't have to be in emergency medicine, the patient's entire background. Remember, we're always interested in what it is that has meant the patient has come to see us on that given day. We can't fix all of their medical problems. We want to help them with whatever it is that they've come to see us about. So give the background. So in our surgical case situation. This is a 25-year-old who I believe has appendicitis. Boom. Put a bit more detail behind it. They came in, they've had a history of two days of right alert fosopane and tell a bit more of the background. It helps confirm to the person on the end of the phone, in this case a surgeon, that you know a bit about what you're talking about. You've got an idea about the patient and it gives them a bit more detail and they may then have a few questions they want to ask you afterwards. Don't forget, this is a short interaction. You have to fit this in in a couple of minutes, so not giving too much detail. And I think there's good evidence from research in this area that if you start that conversation, the period between you starting the conversation and getting interrupted by somebody to clarify some information is actually incredibly short. It will often be within 20 to 30 seconds from you starting talking to somebody interrupting you and asking a question. You might argue that that's a bad thing and they should shut up in reality. They're not going to do that. Expect it. Get your big message across early and then expect that interruption and be prepared to answer questions. What you're trying to do is to generate some ideas in their mind that gets them interested in what's going on. 
and gets them interested in looking for the things which are going to trigger actions in them. So in your example, the appendicitis, it might be something like, does this person have peritoneal signs? Do they have a raised white count? Do they have a raised temperature? Do they have anorexia, the features that we know are associated with the diagnosis of appendicitis. You should be able to predict what's going to go on in their minds, predict what sort of questions they're going to ask you so that you've got them prepared and answerable when they ask. And even better than that, if you can, answer the question before it's even asked. The perfect referral is a one-way delivery of information which ends with the person you're talking to saying, thank you very much. The more questions that are asked really relates to the lack of information you've given that they've been asking you. Now, some specialty doctors that we work with, we've all met them, will insist on showing how clever they are by asking you all sorts of viva questions, some of which, many of which are probably not of any relevance at all. Take these as best you can. Smile sweetly inside. Remember that they're just stressed and they're trying to reinforce that they really are the expert and give the information you think is important. If you can, get through to the end without being asked any questions, and you know you've done a really good job. So we've got the situation and the background, the first two major bits. Next, we come to the assessment. So the assessment phase is what you actually think is wrong with the patient. So in the example you've given, I think this patient has appendicitis. And that's a really good reason for you having the conversation, because it's not something you're going to turn out in the emergency department to sort out. It is something that they need to deal with. So it alerts them to the fact that they need to take ownership of this patient. It's something which is in their domain of practice. And from there, you're then going to move on to the recommendation, which clearly follows on from that. Now, you might think, what's the point of saying the assessment when it's just repetition of the situation? But we know, especially from when we've done teaching sessions or other stuff, in order to get the important information across, there's no problem with repeating the important facts once or twice throughout the conversation. It just reinforces what's going on. So don't be worried that you're saying things twice if they're important things. And as Simon says, we then move on to the recommendation. Now, this is the point at which you tie it all together and you need to finish off in a way that makes the doctor you're talking to or the nurse specialist confident that you know what you need. And you can be pretty direct about this. So we've had our patient with appendicitis. We've given a bit of background. We've repeated again. I believe they've got appendicitis. Then you need to finish off. So I'd be really grateful if you could see them on the ward. Add in maybe what you've done. I've made them nil by mouth. I've given them some intravenous fluids and painkillers. And I'd be really grateful if you could see them on the ward. Now think about the tone of voice you use when you're finishing that conversation. Listen to these two examples. I'd be really grateful if you could see them on the ward. I'd be really grateful if you could see them on the ward. The first one implies you know what's going on and the conversation has come to the end. The second one is a question. We're not asking questions. This is a one-way deliverance of information. So finish confidently and your tone of voice will matter just as it does in all conversation. I think it's really important to make it very, very clear what you want to do. Now, there is something if you're really clever, if you want to be very, very smart about this, you can use some of the techniques that people like Cliff Reed, if you want to follow me on Twitter, have taught me. And that's this concept of illusion of choice. Illusion of choice is a great way to finish off the conversation. You could say, I'd really like to see this patient. Would you like to see them on the ward or would you like to come down and see them here? Now, actually, I don't care where the patient is seen. 
I just want them seen. But by giving an illusion of choice to the person at the other end of the phone, they feel that they're they're empowered to make that decision. They choose where they want to see the patient. They are in control. They're not really. But what it means is that they feel that they're in control of that decision and they take the choice. We get what we want. They appear to get what they want. An illusion of choice is a great way to finish off a conversation. We've got a basic framework for how we're going to conduct any of these conversations. And remember, you can use this when you're talking to your consultants or registrars or your colleagues. Maybe at handover time, it's exactly the same conversation. Situation, the James Bond opening, a bit of background about that situation, your assessment, which may well be the repetition of the situation itself, and the recommendations. Be firm in what it is that you want. Make it obvious about what you're asking that doctor to do for you. All of this takes practice. For some reason, this isn't an established part of the medical curriculum. It's not taught. We're not practicing it. What I would say is there is nothing wrong with just giving yourself a couple of minutes before you pick up the phone to think through what it is you're going to say. Because once you get down that path, then it can be really tricky. Now, Simon, it might be just worth us talking about what happens when these referral conversations can go a bit wrong, because you need to have some tactics for when the person on the other end of the phone isn't quite being as helpful as they could be. Maybe you've caught them at a bad time. Maybe there's other stressors on top of them. Maybe your referral didn't go so well. What do you do when the person you're referring to gets maybe argumentative or agitated? I think the most important thing is don't engage in an argument. If you are on the end of a phone, it's very, very easy to just get into a situation where you're arguing about stuff. You often get involved in minutiae about whether or not a white count is important. Have you done the CRP? What is the result of this test? You know, it, it can get a bit insane, to be honest. In reality, if there is a serious disagreement about what should happen with a patient, you have a number of options. The first thing is don't get involved in a fight. Nobody will benefit from this and everybody will get upset. If you genuinely think that you're struggling to make a referral, end the conversation by saying, okay, I just need to go away and think about this and then go and discuss it with the senior doctor. Get them to come and see the patient if necessary and give another opinion on what this patient requires. But certainly don't engage in any, any sort of difficult conversation. Don't raise your voice. Don't get upset. Don't put the phone down on people. Be polite throughout. You will always do better by maintaining the high ground. Go and review the patient, have another idea, and then after review with the senior doctor, go back to the conversation or ask the senior doctor to make that conversation themselves. Now, really, this conversation that you're planning to have should be, in the ideal world, the right conversation with the right person. But as we said, sometimes you just get in a situation where you're dealing with somebody who's not on the right wavelength, for whatever reason that might be. Don't get cross with them for that. Have some sympathy with them. We work in a very protected environment in our emergency department. We may sometimes, especially those of us who haven't done it for a while, forget how difficult life can be on the wards. Some of our tertiary referral colleagues in my hospital are receiving so many different phone calls and so many demands on their time that they need us to try and help them through. So just remember, take a step back. Don't engage in an argument. Just say, I'm really sorry, this appears to not be going very well. Can I just clarify my thoughts with my colleagues and I'll get back to you in a few minutes? And go away and just think again about how you might be able to make that a little bit better. And that's bound to help. There is no point getting in a fight. And remember what we said at the beginning, it's much harder to fight with somebody when you know their first name. And even better, if you get a chance to go to a hospital social, 
it's even harder to fight with somebody you've had a beer with. And this is why it's really important as a hospital that you get together with other people and you socialize together because people who socialize together and play together will work together so much more effectively. So it's an excuse to go to the pub and you can't really say fairer than that. In this podcast, we've hopefully given you an idea to think again about how you make referrals and how you have these conversations. We've got a bit of a framework. We're going to introduce ourselves with our first names. We're going to develop a relationship. We've got the James Bond opening, followed by a bit of background and then repetition of what it is we need. And we're going to think about the tone of our voice as we end the conversation. The ideal referral is a one way transmission of information with few questions. But if there are questions, we're going to prepare for those and we're going to know the answers. And if we don't know the answers, always be honest and say you will come back or find out for them. There's no point lying about it. You will always be found out. And last of all, we've got some ideas about what to do if things get difficult. Never engage in a fight. It's just not worth it. But more than anything, remember that this is a skill, just in the same way putting a central line is is a skill or intubating a patient or taking a history or listening to somebody's chest. And it needs practice. It's not perfect straight away. And when you come to emergency medicine, you will have different tactics that you need compared to when you're on the wards and working in other specialties. So give yourself the chance to practice. Perhaps do that with colleagues or with your consultants and get some mentorship about how to do it the best you can. We hope this has been useful. Thanks so much for listening again to the St. Emily's podcast. There's plenty more for on these topics and others like it on our induction feed and on the St. Emily's podcast in general. And check out the blog site too. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care, everyone.